Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show all about everything dark, mysterious, and cryptic in the world. Today on the show, we have a special guest, one of the writers for CrypticChronicles.com, Cody Ray George. Cody's a published author and a musician, and he's here to talk about his new book, which is right up Cryptic Chronicles Alley. We're going to get into cosmic horror, uh, a weird god named Hikate, as well as some more lighthearted joking around. So let's just hop right into it, shall we? I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. This is, this is the way. This is the way. These, these entities, they would congregate. travels to Slovenia with the hope of reconnecting with her estranged grandfather, a man whose selfish past has affected her entire life. With each new phone call, the love in her heart expands a little more. She books a one-night stay at an occulted B&B in the heart of the Slovenian wilderness and immediately feels a strange air pressed down on her. She has no idea that the building was once used to breed and sacrifice dogs, and soon, ghost stories begin manifesting around her. After waking up in the middle of the night to a room full of sticky mist, she presses through the stretched hallways and impossible architecture to gather new allies in her fight to stave off a serial killer that uses the paranormal as a means to hunt down tenants. She must summon hidden courage to protect her newfound allies from otherworldly fog, shifting corridors, and a centuries-old ritual. Hello, listener. Today I'm here with Cody Ray George, one of the main and best writers for CrypticChronicles.com. You may remember some of his great, fantastic posts, uh, such as, well, he writes a lot in cryptid stuff, uh, mo- like uh, the Monster Legend of the Weeks. He wrote a thing on Samael, which was excellent, as well as a pretty disturbing yet interesting article on the Georgia Guidestones. Thanks for joining us, Cody. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you being one of like the greatest writers who ever lived and have a, a new book coming out soon, can you tell us a little bit about this book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this is what I would like to call like an occult slasher. So people who are familiar with Scream or any of those types of genre movies, they might really like this book. So the book is called Goodnight Room 9, and it takes place in the backdrop of Slovenia, specifically in a haunted bed and breakfast. Um, I think it is 
pretty creepy. I'm not trying to lean too much into gore because I feel like I feel like there's a delicate balance where it just becomes gratuitous and you don't actually want to read that. And personally, I've read a lot of books where maybe the author is spending a little too much time on the gore and not enough on the plot. So I'm really trying to have this be like a like a plot heavy novella. So that means it's going to be a shorter book. It's only 144 pages intentionally. I really do like that number. Uh, I really I tried work working around uh, editing so that it ended up on 144. And right right before my final edits, it was 143, and I was so mad. <laughs> so I don't think I've ever really heard of a an occult thriller before. What exactly would that entail? Like legitimate real world occult stuff mixed in with like like your story? How would that work? Definitely. So there is an entity or a deity involved. Um, it's not necessarily a spoiler since, you know, she's on the back of the cover of the book. So, you know, all you have to do is flip it around. It, it basically spoils itself. But if you were to see the art, you would probably figure out who it is. But um, looks like Hecate. It's, yes, Hecate. Um, it's, it's kind of, I would say, a mix or like an amalgamation of Hecate and Artemis. Just the two lore, the lores built around these two creatures or entities or deities or gods or whatever you want to attribute them as. Because they're, they're similar, they're different, they all have so much uh, like di- like disputed facts about them, which makes it really interesting. I I personally felt attracted to trying to see what I could do with these parameters. Like, how could I create something or someone that is the best and the most terrifying of both worlds? So, in in some ways, she comes off a little more. Um, I would say terrifying. In I mean. When I wrote it, I was shaking. So, she she is originally pretty catonic, right? Like she's one of the children of literal night of like the 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 gods that predate the the titans, I believe, in some of the lore. Yes, yes, she is considered a titan herself in some circles. I mean, there's so much, there's so so much uh, detail about her that is conflicting, and I that's something I'm also attracted to. Because that means that I can't be wrong. If you <laughs> if you have an homage or if you venerate a god, yeah, there's definitely so... like a duality to her. Exactly, and I mean, she just fit the backdrop so perfectly, and it was interesting because I mean, I do have a like a like a how would I say I don't want to say like a love story with Hecate, but I do have just like a deep admiration, and it's it's it spawns somewhere around like my middle school years as this is the first god that i've ever figured out so i had no idea that there was other gods other than you know capital g god god sorry capital g god (laughs) for sure so it's like one of your earliest loves of like outside mainstream reality tunnel type of views of things oh 100 percent. and the way that she just keeps creeping into my life just to say hello, it's it's Jungian almost. And when I was trying to figure out how to wrap this book together, because I did, I did not initially have 
I would say, such an intense paranormal aspect to this book when I first plotted it. I thought that I would make kind of like a strange slasher. Like, how could I, how could I introduce like a ritual into like a slasher fiction? And then the opportunity presented itself where she's just always there, just like she is in my life. That's interesting. So it kind of evolved on its own a bit. Oh, absolutely. That's the strangest thing about about writing books, especially if you don't like the plot. And there's a you know pretty long-lasting debate about plotting versus what's called pantsing, like flying by the seat of your pants. I'm a I like to mix both of them uh, into my technique, and then I'll give myself like a like a nice guideline, and then whatever happens happens. That's pretty good. I'm kind of more into the extreme of just random weird, whatever <laughs> pops up. I I write whenever I'm writing, and I wish I could be more like uh, focused and organized. Just not in me it's, though. Oh, it's so difficult. Um, it took about ten years of writing. Uh, before it finally just smacked me in the face that, oh, maybe, maybe the synchronicities aren't enough. By the, by the time I'm done with the book, I'm like, ha, it's a cool thing that I did that and that. But I'm like, but what if I actually intentionally did that and expanded on it? That's probably a little more cool, right? Yeah. I think that it's interesting too, from what you're saying. You, so you are put inputting all this like occult stuff into your book. Are you spiritual? So that is a difficult question. Um, at one point, I would say yes. Right now, I would still say yes with an asterisk. Um, it just depends on the day. It really depends. I mean, maybe this is just like a like a self-involved answer, but depends on the moon. Because <laughs> some days I feel really spiritual and I just go back into these old habits or rituals that I keep. Because like you talking about rituals and Hikate and, and stuff, like mm. what you're saying, like you sound like a, like a witch or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> I wish. Um, yeah, for me, I am more involved in just absorbing as much information as I possibly can about any aspect of, of spirituality or religion. For me, I feel like the world is is very strange and the things that people choose to believe in are very strange subjectively um i feel like you could take a lot of inspiration and not necessarily co-opt or um appropriate any of this information as long as you're paying it respect so for me i just like to drink in as much as i can have it on the back burner because there's been so many times where I'm looking for specific imagery and I'm like, wait a minute, the tarot, of course, of course, the tarot. <laughs> and now you're talking about tarot. So you definitely, you're interesting, aren't you? Um, what are some of your previous works before I forget to ask you that? Oh, sure. So in 2019, I wrote a book called A Reconciliation with Death. And I know that is the most heavy handed title of all time. Trust me, I was meditating over, should I even release it with this name? But I mean, you kind of just have to follow your gut. Um, and this was October. So it was very timely for me. This was the first horror anything that I've ever really delved into. And I mean, you could, you could call it zombie, you could call it 
like infection fiction, but it is about like a brief but very aggressive virus that sweeps over specifically the United States um, because I, I really didn't want to deal with the aftermath of any other country or continent. I didn't want to think about it that hard. For me, this is completely a pantsed book. It makes sense. It's still a good read. But if you read it now, it seems like I would just <laughs> I was just copying the um, the guidelines for for COVID. It's it's pretty spot on. Yeah, that's pretty weird. Syn- like synchronicity. Uh-huh. It, it was definitely strange for me uh, because I had written it's it's like an anthology piece. It's several short stories that come together in kind of an out of time, very strange, like I would say like a, like a, like a tapestry of stories involving this infection. And the more I wrote, the more I had to address different aspects of this so-called infection that you know, doesn't exist. It's a viral infection that I'm completely making up. And I can't just follow the same formula for, I think there's five stories, five short stories, because that would be no fun. So one is about um, all the conspiracy theories that, that spawn from this. And like, what is, what does this virus mean for uh, like low income or communities of color specifically? And I mean, that was, that was a really, uh, that was a a big conversation when COVID was coming out with the vaccines and everything. So in a, in a way, I mean, I felt a huge wave of inspiration to write this book in 2019. I had to get it out. in fact, I was working at a very awful coffee shop, worst coffee you've ever had. (laughs) And, um, I was fortunate that it was so slow as well that I could just bust out the laptop. And I I actually did write this entire book in like a month and a half just because I had no interruptions. <laughs> so wow, that's was, crazy. Yeah, I was lucky there, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was a story that I felt needed to be told. At the time, I thought it needed to be told to the world, but I didn't know that the world was just going to be a part of that story. Yeah, it's almost like you, you were either a prophet or... You're like the author in that one movie. What is it called? Like the Mountains of Madness or something where you oh, write, yeah. write stuff into so existence. Strange. <laughs> I I absolutely felt like uh, on some level, I mean, if we want to get into it, you know, with with the whole concept of the tree of life and it just reaching up from the branches. Or Anything goes down. on this show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why I love the show. I could just speak freely. and I'm just like, you guys know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah. Of course, it's in the name. <laughs> so you're um, you're obviously spiritual, even though you're humble about it. Uh, what are some of the ways that you've incorporated your spirituality into your work? So I referenced uh, tarot a little bit earlier with with imagery specifically. I I don't spend too much time, you know, delving through the cards and seeing what what I'm attracted to, but once you learn the cards a little more, it just kind of comes to the surface, whether you want it to or not. And it could be one of those instances where it just would be happening regardless. And now you're able to kind of compare it to some sort of system. 
So I would be writing, I don't know, like imagery for air specifically, right? Anything involving the air or maybe the earth. And then I'm like, oh yeah, obviously like I'm influenced by the tarot, but reading my old stuff, even back in when I was like in high school, I'm like, huh, have I always just kind of known or have, is it just in everyone's collective subconscious that we all kind of address reality this way? So I that's, think the archetypes are in everybody's subconscious to a degree. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Um, I, I wrote Goodnight Room 9 how many, how many months ago? Maybe even a year ago initially. And the first kind of goalpost that I wanted to reach was 99 pages. I don't know why. I have these weird like self-imposed restrictions that I want to keep all the time. And I'm becoming a little more fluid, a little more flexible with them, but I hit 99 pages and I'm like, yes, this is like a short story. This is kind of what I want to do. And I'm reading it and it's so empty. It's a little lifeless. It has bones. And I remember some writing advice that my, my friend told me probably like five years ago, he's not even a writer at the time he wasn't a writer, but now he is because, you know, he has good writing advice. So why not? <laughs> He said, leave it alone for about two months. And I'm like, two months? I'm like, I have ADD. I have ADHD. I have like, I just want to get these things going. Like, I want to just release content. And I just, but for me, like the, that's another restriction I've, I've had to, I've had to like build. No wonder your writing is so good. You have ADHD. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. That's, that's like super creativity. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I'm constantly writing. Like I have specific times of the day carved out. Like right now I would be writing. I have about three hours before work in the morning and I'm just writing the entire time. I get my chores out of the way and then I just super hyper fixate, have a cup of coffee. It does nothing for me now. <laughs> so it probably, calm, <laughs> yeah, it probably calms you down. So if you're like all over the place like that, then what influenced Goodnight Room 9? I'm sure that there must have been like a bajillion different influences. Were there any like movies or shows or other books? You know, when I'm writing, I come into mind or I, I come into the story with, with something in mind that's kind of the basis or like the vibe rather than anything else. So, for example, I watched Blade Runner, the original one, for the first time like three months ago. I've never seen it before. And the just the vibe, the aesthetic of it stuck with me more than the movie and the message of the movie. So I went in and I wrote a short story that no one's seen because there's probably 200 of them that no one's seen. But for me, that was stretching a muscle that I've never really tried to stretch before just the cyberpunk and all of that so when i came into goodnight room nine i'm trying to think what what i watched around that time i think it was a combination of just listening to various podcasts and just really getting into folklore and i love for folklore. Me, yeah it's i'm still such a baby with folklore and I don't know why I haven't taken that step of like, I just got to like research this. I got really into Faye, Pixies. I'm, I'm trying to write something with that. Yeah, all the stuff that you wrote for me has been folklore and it's been amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what's really just enthralling for me. And this book, I hope, I think I've accomplished it, is just like an homage to a Westerner coming into uh, a realm that they're not familiar with. Like, I'm not familiar still, truly, with folklore. The main character, Jenny, Australian girl, she's a coder. She is trying to reconnect with her estranged grandfather. So she comes to Slovenia after talking to him for a little for a little while on the phone. And suddenly she is in this rural pocket where there are rituals, there are strange offerings, there's just speech, like a certain type of speech that she's not familiar with. So not only is there an obvious language barrier sometimes there's like a like a metaphysical language barrier where she is just so wrapped up in computers code and logic that she comes into this strange reality where there's bowls of garlic like why is there a bowl of garlic why does it smell so bad in here one thing you can invest in that does not lose value is gold and silver there is no better place to go for financial security than GoldCo. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau. Get the free 2023 Gold IRA kit Americans are using to protect their retirement savings. Get your free 2023 Gold IRA kit at goldcogoldkit.com. GoldCo is a leader in the precious metals industry. From precious metals IRA to direct purchases of precious metal coins and bars, we partner with individuals seeking to diversify and safely grow their retirement portfolios. Allow Gold Co. to make your gold and silver investments easy, seamless, and secure. Our investment is in good hands. Chuck Norris, what? Oh, I'm recording. $30 off weed with code podcast? Did someone say $30 off weed with code podcast? Amuse delivers over 500 high-quality cannabis products from the Bay Area brands you love at everyday low prices. You can also rest assured that everything will be up to your high standards. So what are you waiting for? Start shopping now at Amuse.com. Use promo code PODCAST to save 30 bucks off your next order. That's A-M-U-S-E dot com. Is your brain always hungry? Do you have a mental appetite that often goes unsated? You may be suffering from hungry brain syndrome, a debilitating and sometimes life-threatening condition experienced by humans who require double, sometimes even quadruple, the amount of mental nutrition needed to sustain the general population. But now there's help. For years, our dedicated team of world-class researchers have been developing a thicker, more nutrient-dense podcast specifically for sufferers of hungry brain syndrome. And now we want to share it with you. All you have to do is search for our podcast, The Whole Rabbit, in your podcast player of choice and select from one of our delicious flavors like Slovenian succubi, Gnosticism, or Ancient Egypt. It's no wonder The Whole Rabbit is the most recommended treatment for hungry brain syndrome on the market. So what are you waiting for? Try The Whole Rabbit today. Do not listen while deep sea diving. Side effects may include eating carrots and shooting lasers. <laughs> Why was there a bowl of garlic? read the book <laughs> so is this your way of venerating this specific god or goddess this hecate because you were saying earlier she was very special to you 
She is, um, she is one of two deities or gods that I have venerated. I would, I would say, I would admit that this book is definitely veneration, but I do also want to reiterate that I understand that when you read the depiction of this Hecate Artemis hybrid, it may not exactly be the version that you're familiar with, but it, it does keep in line with these kinds of specific uh, details that are pulled from either. Um, I've venerated Anubis in the, in the past. I've tried to write a book for him and I tried to write that book about three times and he is not happy with any of them. Oh, really? You feel it. You, yeah, you could definitely feel his presence nearby and he's like, scrap it. I'm going to go do something else. That's so, interesting. Yeah. For, uh, for Hecate, she's just like, yeah, make this, make this chaos. Go ahead. Like, this is great. She's just, she's just about it. And when I, when I say that she's special to me, I'll give like a very short story. It is a, it could be a longer story, but I did have a friend that I met online in a chat room when I was, oh man, like 11 or 12. I was very young. And you know, the internet back then really was just the wild west. I mean, she was in her mid twenties. I don't know why she was talking to me. I don't know why I was talking to her, <laughs> but we met in like a, like a web comic chat room, which is super niche. And she's from uh, Hungary. And she was the person, the first person to introduce the concept of other gods to me because she, uh, she followed Hecate. She gave me the rundown. And of course, my little 12 year old sponge brain is like, wow, this is like a cool story. <laughs> and that's all it really was for me. Then one day she came online and she said, hey, this is going to be the last time that I ever talk to you. And I said, okay, why? She said, I wrote a book, Venerating Hecate, and I'm going to kill myself and read it in my next life. Now, I'm oh. definitely, I'm not going to kill myself and read this in my next life. Trust me. I'm just putting that out there. But the entire time, just that, that feeling of just receiving this news. And you're 12? Stuck with me. Yes. <laughs> Dude. And I was just like, okay. That's dark. And then, yeah, then she never came back online, but. There wasn't like a sadness about it. Of course, I was kind of a little depressed that I'd never talked to her again. Well, actually, she did come online the next day and said, sorry, I forgot to do something. Okay, now bye. That was messed up. That was super strange. What the hell, I was like, man? I, <laughs> I was like, I knew you wouldn't do it. She's like, nah, I'm good. Bye. So this mysterious lady was from uh, Hungary. Hungary. Why did you choose Slovenia as the backdrop of this book? That's a great question. Um, it's a reach, but for me, I, I feel like it is, it's possible. And that's kind of what books are. Is it possible? Sure. Let's write about it where there's just a lot of migration and Turkey is very into Hecate and there's just a lot of persistence of these old gods, little pockets, little just gems of of families who still believe in these things. So I feel, why not? Why not Slovenia? Plus, I, I do have a, a friend, a very nice friend named Monica, who is from Slovenia, and she helped me a little bit with this book. Just some of the speech, there is 
uh, slowing words, just a smattering of them throughout the book. And she kind of gave me the thumbs up or the thumbs down. That's interesting. Yeah. Plus, it's a very beautiful country. It's it's interesting to me because there's just a few central hubs, and then there's just rural wilderness. More I thought that there would be that, some kind of connection to Hungary. Yeah, you know. Moreover than that, um, this this comes in later in the book, but there, I talk about the Ten Day War, just a very brief war that just threatened the um, like the freedom of Slovenia, and for for me, it's it's interesting because it was devastating to the people, and it's now. When I when I hear people talk about it, they don't really they don't feel the weight of what ten days necessarily can do to someone's psyche. Well, Eastern Europe was basically a battleground the entire nineties. So it's hard oh, to yeah. keep track of all the wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was that's very interesting to me. And instead of writing a, a whole book about that, because I'm not an expert, I do have a character who was involved and just his his trauma and his relationship with the god in question. Hecate? Yeah. Indeed. So there's like this crazy maze in your book, right? Yeah, the the <laughs> the bed and breakfast essentially becomes a maze. Uh, I I find this fun. This is a fun concept for me to write. It was very difficult to actually have the logic make sense, but yeah, she wakes up, the main character, Jenny wakes up, and there's fog everywhere. Like a, you know, fog of war, quotes. She can't see too far into the hallway, but she's recognizing that the hallway is definitely not the same hallway. And all of the rooms are somehow looping back into each other, just like a, like a strange feedback Scooby-Doo type loop. And I do even reference that in the book. One of the characters is like, oh, this is a Scooby-Doo episode. I'm like, yeah, it is. Because that's if that happened in real life, that's terrifying. I wouldn't know what to do. Is it really a, ref- a reference to Scooby-Doo? <laughs> well, yeah, it is. <laughs> is there any reference to everything else that the shifting maze could be? Um, nothing intentionally, but that's just how it kind of ends up being. For for Hecate, she's kind of known to, to have one of her objects, her affiliated objects is like a key ring. And that, that comes into play. I feel like that's symbolically funny that she has the keys and she understands what's going on and she can traverse this maze, but no one else can. She sounds kind of like a trickster in the book. She definitely is. um, She has aspects of, of being a trickster, but she again is in the back burner and there is someone else who is enacting these, uh, these rules that she set. So there's a physical person who is the so-called slasher. Oh, there's a real world, like a real killer in it. There's a real killer. She's not going around, um, attacking people, but she does have someone who let's just say is trying to, trying to perform a ritual and yeah, that's just, that's his role. So I gotta be honest, man, this sounds kind of Lovecraftian. Hopefully it's easier to read. Oh yeah, totally. 
or to the archaic yeah. way that Lovecraft wrote things like nowadays it's ridiculously hard to like you got to be pretty dedicated to read it how it is yeah I mean I've I've definitely tried my hand at Lovecraft I think when I was in middle school when I first found out about him I was gobbling it up to it was such a rate that I actually don't I can't remember a single thing when I played games I read the books I mean I was on all these websites just I don't even know if any of the information was true at some point. I'm like, okay, this seems Lovecraftian, right? That's, that's probably like a part of the canon. It seems like some stuff from real world, like esoteric traditions. You know, because like back then, if you were part of any of those weird orders, like you were always secret about it, never told anybody. Like um, you could have a, like you said, you were talking about the tarot earlier. You could be mm. like a tarot master, but when you're going about town, you'd be like, screw that. Who believes in that stupid stuff? No, exactly. That's like yeah, how they worked back then. So it seems like he was like into some stuff that he kept secret. I, I've always wondered about that too, because I, I wonder what organization or organizations have uh, accumulated any of that relevant information that he's, <laughs> that he's decided to put out or uh, construe or contort or whatever. Yeah, and because you find some of it in all kinds of things, actually. It's weird. Yeah, just renamed or the concepts are, are a little more exaggerated or, you know. Totally. Like even in the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, there's mm. like all kinds of Lovecraft stuff in it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if he's just like, hmm, yeah, I'm going to write fan fiction. <laughs> I'm going to write these stories and these ideas and concepts in a way that won't get me killed by other cultists. Oh, yeah, exactly. No, I'm, just, I'm just being funny, but yeah. <laughs> they're, they're like fish people. All right, well... At least it wasn't the bird people like it really is. <laughs> wasn't the reptilians out there going to get us. <laughs> I love cosmic exactly. horror, though. I think that's like my favorite out of any genre. It's um, speaking of someone that's tried to write it. It's difficult. I mean, there are certain genres that on on paper seem easy or difficult to write. It's usually the inverse. I mean, ask me to write romance. I don't know. <laughs> I can write romance concepts. I can write two characters in love. I can write cosmic horror, you know, just aspects that can be trickled into a book. But if you were to ask me to sit down and write something that would resemble Lovecraft, I would, you know, I would actually lose my mind. I would give up so fast. Yeah, it's extremely hard to write. It's even harder to actually put on film. Well, they only get it right once in a while. The Nicolas Cage movie or the adaptation of Color Out of Space? Oh, that that one's great. It's so good. Nicholas Nobody Cage liked it. Amazing. I loved it. I thought the ending was perfect. He did such an amazing job. I'm like, this is this is exactly what I had in mind. Yeah, and, and I think that a lot of time if you're trying to write cosmic horror, you have to purposely write it in a way that you don't want to make sense to the reader. Like you, you don't yeah, want to be normal. No, that's that's another thing, like flowery language. It's like a like a fun term that I hear get thrown around flowery language where it's just, you know, there's just a lot of detail and it just strings on. But for cosmic horror or I don't know what to call that. It's it's gobbledygook, you know, it's it's insanity. Oh, yeah, totally. you're, re you're, you're reading it and you have to kind of take notes. Well, if you read the old Lovecraft stuff, he left so much up to the imagination of the reader. It's, it's like you wouldn't see that in modern times. No, you're not allowed to. That's yeah. a, a fun thing is that over over the course of history for writers, 
it's just distilled so much where if you're going to see something that's on the shelves, it's got to be unbelievably digestible. It's got to be just for common denominator. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It really is what it is. It's just distilled into the most simple version of the story that you can imagine. I don't think you can do that with cosmic horror. Hmm. I think it's for a higher intellect type of people who have imaginations. Let's let's consider Clifford the big red dog cosmic horror. <laughs> In a way. Oh my gosh. I mean, we you do a could whole you could make a lot. That. You could even do te- say Teletubbies or <laughs> cosmic horror if you really want to. Oh, absolutely. They're the definition of interesting. I think we've uncovered something about indoctrination. Where you get what are you getting at? <laughs> that the powers that be, these these systems in place are like, you know what's really fucked up? Some like big tubby guys with televisions, that's they've floated out of space, they have ruined our children. <laughs> the teletubbies are secretly like old ones and shit. <laughs> we got you. Yes. Absolutely. Have you ever read the book House of Leaves? Uh, no, I have tried. No. So that is I'm not probably oppo- I'm not opposed to it. One of the hardest like cosmic horror books I've ever tried to read. And it's Oh, so you would consider it cosmic horror? Oh, yeah. The house. Huh. Interesting. The unending. It's been a while. Oh, man. And then the way it's written is like so all over the place. And like the guy who's writing it is obviously like crazy. But his levels of craziness shift from chapter to chapter, not in a linear way. So it's like, what is even going on? And it's so weird. It keeps you interested, but it's like, it's all in your imagination, which all cosmic horror, good cosmic horror is. That's really interesting. Maybe I'll give it another go. It's been about 15 years. I should absolutely do an episode on that book and bring you on for it. Yeah, I'll read it and we'll just discuss it. That sounds really fun. Yeah, like a lot of people have, if you research it, there's like tons of chat groups and stuff for it there's people who say that they've had like legitimate paranormal stuff happen to them after reading the book or during reading the book which is interesting i i believe that that can happen i don't see why not i mean it's the same thing as picking up a tome or some kind of grimoire and just kind of casually reading from it yeah it's like when you're listening to spooky podcasts sometimes people are more likely to experience paranormal phenomenon that's true that's very true yes i've been i've been there (laughs) it's like this resonance that you tap into it's like oh look that guy is ready to be messed with let's go i love it i think that's so true (laughs) that's a crude way of saying it but it seems like even if it's just all in our heads in like a, a Jungian type of way it does open up doors up that are normally closed i definitely feel that i've i've been there with certain movies i mean that's kind of the phenomenon behind horror movies people don't sleep they have these strange visions or feelings it might not necessarily be true but it is like you said a resonance where you're you're tapping into whatever is being portrayed and then suddenly it is influencing your reality so it's the same thing like you know house of leaves i (laughs) i can't speak enough to it but that sounds incredibly interesting like it is in a way like a grimoire like whatever insanity he's going through while writing it is just imbued yeah and people see doors where there there weren't any doors in their house and stuff like i don't know how much that stuff is true but 
there there have been a lot of weird tales from people who have read the book. I mean, that's an that's actually a nightmare of mine. Like a recurring nightmare is my childhood home. There is a, a door that I've never seen before. So that ah synchronicity. Yeah, it's a synchronicity. I guess I gotta go to your local bookstore and find a used copy of House of Leaves that may be bloodstained. Oh, that would be the best. Yeah. Also, you can't ever read the audiobook. Don't even try. It doesn't work the same because you don't have all the crazy scribbles everywhere. <laughs> An audiobook. That's hilarious. I wonder who did it. It's like, imagine being the actor cast and you're like, I guess. Honestly, Should it's, I be it's, screaming here or crying? It can't be done. So it's bad, obviously. It's one of those books where you have to read it and have the paper in your hands. Because a lot no, of the eldritch I... happenings is like on the page, like messing with you. Oh, I see. I do have a counter, though. You know how there's this this strange resurgence of, like, AI voices, and they just happen to be Joe Biden? Yeah, they're playing Minecraft together with Obama and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I've seen that. So I would love to hear uh, Joe Biden read House of Leaves. I think I would rather eat my own shit. (laughs) But you do you, boo. I mean, that would just be, like, a typical... (laughs) Typical Joe Biden speech. Hi there. Thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage. By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites. Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicles. Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. But most of all, thanks for listening. I would have rather have a gravely voiced creepy guy. Like, oh, is that the vibe you get from the book? It's just like some like crypt keeper. Well, the dude is an alcoholic. And he's a chain smoker. Uh, so, oh, yeah, Tom he, Waits. So he's okay. yeah. So he's got like um, in my imagination, his voice is totally grisly. And, yeah, we, and world we need to get Tom Waits for that one. Yeah, like totally world buried. Like he could die at any second and be happy. Oh my god! All right. Yeah, you piqued my interest. I'm at 100. percent Yeah, cosmic horror is great, but it has to be done right. And it has to be mostly in the imagination. Yeah, I uh, I recently read a short cosmic horror that I'm not going to say was amazing but I'm also not going to say it was 
terrible because it did inspire me somewhat. But it was so short, and it is just leaving leaving it up to the imagination, especially the ending, where oh god, I need to I need to find the the story. Yeah, yeah, I want to know. But it is it's about like a Thanksgiving or like a maybe what was it a Super Bowl party? Yeah, something and. <laughs> Suddenly, anyone who's outside, their intestines crawl up their their mouth and float into space. And that is the whole concept of the book. Then we have two survivors that the book takes place uh, around. And they don't like each other. They're just family members who never really liked each other. And they live off of this kind of rotting Thanksgiving food for the next couple months until one of them just says... Maybe it's good. Maybe it's fine now. I'm going to go outside. And just the sheer horror of seeing that happen. That's gross. Does he puke out his guts? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> the The worst thing is whenever you involve like an animal, like a dog. So they did describe Aww. the dog. And I'm like, oh, man, not the I dog. I can't take it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the cure was wearing a hat. So. Oh, really? <laughs> You know what? You can do anything. That's the that's the best part. That about is so Eldritch. It is <laughs> definitely. I'll try to find the uh, the title. It was, it was a part of like an uh, ebook anthology that I read. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I'd be into it. So the cover yeah. of your book I noticed has some pretty awesome art on it. Did you have anything mm. to do with that? Yeah. So um, my artist Cindy Ty. Uh, she's great. I mean, obviously, if you look at it, you're like, yeah, this is like a talented person. But what keeps me going back to her, because she did my uh, the art for Reconciliation with Death, is her ability to kind of read between the lines of whatever sample or whatever I, I give her and then just draw to it appropriately. So... I gave her a sample that was just describing the Hecate figure. And she came back with this really crude stick figure drawing where there's this creepy fog hill or uh, fog filled hallway. There's these portraits of dogs and she didn't exactly get what I wanted for Hecate. And then her ability to understand where I'm coming from, just making these really crude and out there suggestions like what if she had three faces and also many arms and she's like okay how about this i'm like oh my god yes that's literally delved into my mind and there's um on on the cover it's kind of hard to see on the book but the full picture has uh has the key rings it has a shoe it has broken potted plant it has all of these things that are just mentioned maybe in a throwaway line throughout the book and they're just included on the cover we work together to just have the placement and have it be very like just very inviting and interesting and just chaos from the ground up to when you focus on the Hecate figure where it just kind of suddenly captures your attention draws you in and makes sense I don't know she's she's incredible yeah there's a lot going on in it I love the art mm. So is this story going to have a sequel? I would rather not. Um, I feel like a good, a good self-contained story 
leaves the reader with the hope that there will at one point be a sequel. And in the back of their mind, they should also have another voice competing to say, no, we're good. Just leave it because I don't want to ruin what I have here. I don't want to ruin this memory or this association. So I do leave it up to where potentially we could bring back some other characters. But for me, I think I think the draw of writing sequels is way more of an impulse that I need to control <laughs> because that's that's the thing. You write a book and you're like, I can continue writing this book, right? Not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, but what if it sells a million copies? You're going to have to make a sequel. Uh, they'll just have to read the other books that I have coming out. <laughs> if it does really well, you probably, I don't know, you like money, right? I mean, it's not that I like money. Um, is it necessary? And also, do I love it? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I guess that's kind of a sellout thing for me to say. But if, I mean, I can't wait to read it. I haven't read it, listener. Um, but I'm definitely going to get it on the day of release. When is this book coming out? So but we're recording this the day that it's coming out. So you haven't read it yet. Perfect um, timing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm sending you an advanced copy. Um, your choice of paperback or hardcover because people have preferences. Paperback probably because I like the ease of, because I read a lot outside in the garden. A garden? Oh man, that sounds so peaceful. Oh yeah, I have my bare feet in the, in the dirt and everything. It's great. I wonder if I would benefit from going outside more, you know, when you just sit inside and write all day. You get one, very pale, and two, kind of um, desperate for sunlight. If you live in a city, you have to make whatever backyard you have, like, amazing. If you're living there okay. long, that is. Yeah, I'm going to be here for a little while, and we do have, I'm not going to say a sizable backyard, but it's enough for the dog, the dog to run around in. You should make a garden, plant some trees. Definitely plant peach trees, because peaches are awesome. And I'm in the peach state of Georgia. Georgia? I still haven't gotten the, uh, the accent down. Well, you're from Florida, right? I am from Florida. I don't know if you could tell. Yeah. So you sound kind of like me. I'm Californian. Yeah. <laughs> Two sides of the same coin, really. Yeah. But Georgia's hard because they got that, that Southern drawl. Oh, man. It's everywhere. I didn't expect every single person to have it, but I also didn't know what I was, um, what I was expecting. <laughs> See, if you're trying to pretend like you're from California and get used to our way of talking, you have to say like all the time when it's not necessary. You just kind of have to like really go into it <laughs> with like a little bit of a, yeah, like maybe just like. Telltale sign of where I'm from. They all know. They give me crap sometimes. You know what? I only have a, I only have a tally of 13 for your likes today. So <laughs> you're doing pretty good. Awesome. I'm keeping it down today. <laughs> So what else do you have planned for the near future concerning your books and stuff? So <clears throat> concurrently, when I was editing Goodnight Room 9 for release, I was writing something else and pretty sure you're aware of it. We kind of talked back and forth. Um, so concurrently, when I was editing Goodnight Room 9 for release, I was writing uh, an anthology sort of book that has four short stories and each of them is relating to a suit of the tarot so we have wands swords we have cups we have pentacles 
Um, and they're all horror adjacent or strictly horror. And I find, I don't know why, but I find myself just constantly only wanting to write horror now. There's something about it that's so, I don't know. It's so attractive. It's Please so attractive. Do. Yeah. I mean, it's my favorite. I, I hope I'm good at it. I've, I've started reading more horror just to kind of get a feel out for what people are doing or what the normal lay person would consider horror. I'm like you though. I don't like gore horror. I like yeah. uh, like psychological cosmic horror, like I already said. But I yeah. like it when it's more like it's when it's not just like gore porn, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there there are a few publishing houses out there that specifically only want the goriest, nonsensical, just you know, I just feel that's lowbrow. Still, you like, know, yeah, it, it is. I'm not going to. I'm not going to trash people. Oh, who, yeah, I shouldn't either. Who do it? But I will say that you could do it tastefully, or you could go in with just the idea of this this slaughter that needs to be described, and that's not really a story. That's not necessarily interesting, but. Well, I mean, a good writer a lot of, would leave all that to the imagination. Oh my God, you would hope so. Um, yeah, one of my biggest pet peeves is pacing in movies, TV shows, books. I mean, I I always try to have like an internal timer going on whenever I'm writing. And the pacing is so important because you can just cut out an entire sentence and nothing of value would be lost. In fact, you gain like in like an additional sense of urgency just from doing that because you have to put yourself in the reader's point of view. And if you're, if you're putting yourself in the reader's point of view and the reader is just reading three pages of one corpse being chopped up, uh, it has its merits for certain people. Yeah. Those certain people probably are, I don't know, not the type of people I'd hang out with. (laughs) Yeah. Same. There is um, a pretty popular horror, body horror book called Tender is the Flesh. Oh, body horror can be great, though. Yeah, I would consider this a, a good book. The ending, iffy. Um, I think it's originally written in Spanish, so I'm not... Spanish or Portuguese, I'm not sure. But the I don't know if I'm just attributing the the kind of quick close to the ending to be like a translation error because it did not hit me the way that I feel like it should, but the rest of the the book was very, oh, I almost became vegan because it's about cannibalism. Oh no. <laughs> I used to be vegan and I'm like, you know what, let's just see how I am reading this book. I'm like, I need to go back to, you know, what worked. The bad thing you know? about vegans is just the vegans being annoying, like saying, oh, I'm vegan all the time. It's like, oh my gosh. Well, you live in California, yeah. <laughs> so that's everyone you've ever met. So annoying. Like you'll be talking, be like, "Hey, man, look at the weather. It's pretty." Cr- I'm a vegan. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. It's like, sorry, there's GMOs in the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I can't, I can't open my mouth when I'm outside. Especially in the Bay Area, it's like, come on, just shut up. Nobody cares. Oh, you're a piece of I garbage, guess... like everybody else. Just, just accept <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Just a different, just a, we fall on the different uh, spectrum of, of garbage. Exactly. One of them likes to drink kombucha. One of them laughs at the word kombucha. There's a degree to things, but it's the same thermometer. 
<laughs> exactly. I love that. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we're coming up to the end of the hour. Is there um, any way, like, do you want to leave any, like, uh, where people can reach you, where people can find your books, any social medias that people could follow you on? So you can find the two books that I have so far on Amazon is probably the easiest way for you to access this. Um, it's on other websites like Barnes and Noble, Kmart for some reason. You know, I just go through a distributor and they put it wherever they see fit. So I'm on a lot of Japanese websites. All right. Good for me. Uh, my name is Cody Ray George, and you can find Goodnight Room 9 live right now. You can find A Reconciliation with Death. It's going to be a little bit older. It's still a good read. It is I believe, only a dollar on Kindle. So, hey, that's not bad. You can find me on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Cody Ray George. Super easy. I'm glad no one has taken that username yet. And then there's Instagram, which I like to post to a lot. It is Cody Ray George dot author. So period author, Cody Ray George period author. All right. Um, everything will be linked in the de details of this episode as well, listener. Thanks for joining, joining us, Cody. It was great. We had a great convo and I can't wait to read your book. I can't wait to read House of Leaves and come back and talk about it with you. That's going to be super fun. Yeah, let's do that in the future for sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. feathered through the hallway, a beacon struggling within a borderless sea of gray-white, broken only by the orange glow of antiquated sconces. The tension of absolute silence bore its way into Jenny's bones, and the balmy humidity helped convince her she'd actually somehow entered another dimension. That light was alive. It stroked away, its owner well-hidden. As far as she knew, there happened to be at least one other person in the hallway. They could have been a complete stranger, a real-life villain, or one of the other friendly faces she met along the way. Anxiety bulbed behind her sternum and a hundred words fought for supremacy, fighting to claim the rising impulse as their own. She wanted to shout for Vasily, for Anna, but she couldn't dare risk her own skin for the sake of potentially reuniting with an ally, especially if they end up useless against a psychopathic tenant who found a thrill in hunting others down. If throwing shit's all he can do, thought Jenny as she corrected her posture and suddenly appreciated the weight of the equipped chair leg, then I might have an advantage, as long as I stay close to him as long as he doesn't have any other tricks up his sleeve. The beacon dissipated just as Jenny resolved her internal monologue. Though the idea that this bright light offered a semblance of heat was psychosomatic, she couldn't shrug away an oncoming shiver when it disappeared. Her hot breath turned the fog, and she ventured forth while sucking her lips to stifle her shaky breaths. 
One heel softly pressed into the floor before straightening out. The second mimicked the first, and the pair repeated the cycle until Jenny achieved what she considered a masterful grasp of stealth. Subtle movements twisted the mist. Their presence accosted her sympathetic nervous system. Humanoid faces appeared and dissipated as soon as they formed. Shadows swam by her as if she were wading through a crowded train station. Jenny summoned the concept of calm. You're fine, she repeated to herself. Her voice sounded flat once her words struck the air. You're fine. By the time she guessed, she'd drift somewhere in the hallway's throat near rooms five and six. Her own voice sounded foreign to her. You're fine. A circus of fleet shadows took up residence around her. The subtle scratching of unclipped nails against the wooden floor mangled with the shimmer of dog tags as spectral hounds bounced along the hallway. That's all for today's show. Um, make sure to go check out all of Cody's links that I'm going to have in the details of this episode. Follow him on social media. Go order his book and make sure that you leave a good review on Amazon. If you do that, I promise I will not send Cthulhu after you to cause you Eldritch Madness. Maybe. Cryptic Chronicles is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Podbean, and literally all podcast hubs. You look for us, we're there, so go check it out. If you can, listener, I'm trying to get to 2K on my Twitter account, so go check out Cryptic Chronicles at Twitter. Um, thanks for getting me above 1K. I really appreciate that. And I'm getting too many supporters on Patreon to go over every single supporter, like at the end of every outro. So from now on, I'm going to just do, you know, a couple, a decent amount of them and kind of cycle through the names. So if you don't hear your name, don't worry, you'll, it'll be said in the future. Thank you, Thomas H. Birmingham, Damon Z, Harry, my three newest supporters, and No Stick 457. Thank you specifically. Also, thank you to Miyamoto Musashi, Jeremy Gross, Psychic Terror, Jacob New McBride, Cameron Sanders, Robin Van Patten, Ryan L., Lee Gray, Rosalinda Gonzalez, Jonathan Jackson, Brandon Wigglesworth, Cody George. Annie Dadon, TD777, Emily Schmemily, Sphinx314, 61, and Dane Heggelson. Thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles, but most of all, thanks for listening. And as one of the most notorious esotericists who ever lived once said, Intolerance is evidence of impotence. <laughs>